0: Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Proudly celebrating 15 years, here's your host, Luke McCormick.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormick. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with machine learning and artificial intelligence strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Chris Brazier, Division Chief at Defense Threat Reduction Agency, Brian Drake, Director of Artificial Intelligence Science and Technology Directorate, Defense Intelligence Agency. Carly Jackson, Chief Technology Officer, Director of Science and Technology, Naval Information Warfare Systems Command. Melissa Sutherland, Vice President of the Defense Military Intelligence Division at Booz Allen Hamilton. Nicholas Spees, Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. And Chad Cisco, General Manager, Government Business Unit, Data Robot. Well, this is a big subject, an important subject, and a very fast moving subject. And there's everything from we've got to cleanse the data, set the table, make sure we're ready for all this technology to ingest all this capability and start to use it. To very interesting ways I've noticed uh, that things are being procured through challenges and uh, seed money, et cetera. uh, Lots of different uh, aspects to this uh, very fast moving technology. Let's start with you, Chris, over at uh, DTRA, as they like to call it, Ditra. What's going over on, going on over there regarding artificial intelligence and machine learning these days?
2: Hey, good afternoon, Luke. Thanks for having me. So, from our perspective and our efforts, have really been focused on our building our capabilities that improve end users' ability to identify, track, disable disruptive people, processes, and technologies. So, our progress in uh, ML AI is based upon a holistic vision of integrating our people, our problem domains, and those problem domains are counter-threat networks, counter-weapons of mass destruction, great power, competition, national security, and then of course, our hardware software technologies collectively, and finally it's managing the machine learning uh, model life cycle. So if I break that apart a little bit from the people perspective, right? Our uh, capabilities are developed by our multidisciplinary data science team that we've been redesigning for about four years. And over that time, what we've learned is that an ideal team needs to contain members with background in software engineering, information technology, statistics, and machine learning engineering. And it's also really important that the team has access to or has contains subject matter experts with our mission-related experience or our problem-set experience that we're looking at. Um, in the problem domain category, right, we're looking at the problem, uh, primary problem across our mission space is that there, are, there's more data, text-based data, than humans can find retrieve or assess to meet demands of the mission requirements, so our goal is really to find ways to assist users in locating the relevant data to apply to the mission set. Uh, we've needed and to find ways to automate manual and repetitive workflows, to access the information that answers the mission questions, threat discovery, and target identification. In the technology bucket, um, as we Look at our knowledge of how to apply uh, MLAI, it's really grown and we quickly realized that our data science team needed a hardware, for example, GPUs, not CPUs, and software environments that will let them scale their solutions across our larger mission space. This complete data science environment is located on our development network enclaves and that reside across different classification levels. But the core data science environment infrastructure is key in letting the team accomplish a couple of things. One, it ensures both quick development of machine learning and AI capabilities while also addressing the strict security needs of our organization. And then we also are uh, exploring and iterate on models using mission data to deliver our capabilities, execute true testing and experimentation to successfully produce machine learning models. The uh, data science environment resides right on top of our big data technology stack, Which allows us to produce tens of thousands of unique documents a day, running them through several machine learning models and then making them discoverable. And then the machine learning subdomain selected to address our problem domain is in the field of natural language processing. So there's challenges with natural language processing, especially uh, involve really speech recognition, natural language understanding, and natural language generation.
1: A lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of capability, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of horsepower that's available now and a lot of data that needs to be processed. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks for that top line. Uh, Brian, how about over at DIA? You know there's a lot of activity going on over there and uh, in your world. Uh, give us a top line. So our, our, we've had
3: AI projects running in the agency for several years. Um, right now we have a, a reservoir of about 69 separate projects that are running different levels of sophistication. Uh, we have uh, challenges in managing those and keeping track of what they're doing. Uh, so we, are, uh, we, are, we have crafted a defense intelligence strategy uh, for artificial intelligence, which looks five to 10 years out, and we're trying to define uh, what that future environment looks like for us uniquely as the premier defense intelligence provider for the US government. So some of the things that we have discovered going through that process is that we estimate that by 2025, we'll be encountering 175 zettabytes of data in the public sphere. That doesn't count the classified networks. This is just in the public sphere. Wow. So a Wow.
1: You, you got to tell the audience what zettabyte is, I, right? That, yeah, that, I'm not sure everyone's got that one.
3: Yeah, no, no. no, no many people don't. So a zettabyte is th- 36,000 years of high-definition video just to give you an idea of, of okay. the general size. There you go. So lot, if we were lot, to commit the, <laughs> it's a lot to watch. So if we were to commit the entire human capital of the United States to go through a zettabyte, we'd never get there. So we estimate that into that future environment, we're going to need automated capabilities in order to process that amount of data, just to discern whether or not it has value for the intelligence enterprise. And because of that, that means that we're going to have to be looking at our, Activities in a different way. We have traditionally been doing our business processes on high side networks and providing highly classified documents uh, to uh, policymakers from Congress, the White House, the Pentagon, warfighters out forward. We will still have that mission and there will always be secrets in the world. But what it appears, at least for us in the future, is that a lot of that work will be done on low-side networks, not so much on high-side networks. So our business processes are going to have to shift toward more secure, unclassified processing and extracting the key insights we really care about up into the high-side networks. So that those are some of the things that we're, we're focusing in on. I, uh,
1: interesting to have that hybrid of high-side, low-side and sort of merge that together to, to, to process some of these uh, unique challenges that you all certainly have over there. Carly, how about at uh, NAV WAR, as they like to call it, uh, what's going on over there in, the, in regards to the use of AI and ML these days?
4: Good morning. Uh, so at the Naval Information Warfare Centers, uh, which are really our engineering engineering centers that work all the way from our basic and applied research to fielded systems, um, you know, our mission is really two-part. We're focused on developing systems uh, that either Resolve or create uncertainty uh, with data, with information across multiple domains. Um, sometimes uh, we talk about this, and that our, our uh, that our domain space is from seabed to space. Um, so very broad apl- applicability, um, and very focused on the information domain. Um, we just did. We just took a, a 10-year look uh, at our investments in machine learning and AI. Um, and our approach has really been uh, uh, multi-pronged. We have been focused on building the machine learning and AI workforce uh, deliberately for at least 10 years. Um, and we're even looking back into some very early publications from our most, most basic and applied scientists, uh, even before that. But for about 10 years now, we've been, uh, we've been investing in uh, almost 100, hundreds of different projects, um, making some key hires in areas, uh, that were just discussed uh, and then also um, even more recently having the the credentials and the experience to be able to apply some of that learning to real world problem sets and that's really where the worker centers uh, excel uh, in that we have uh, expertise that spans uh, again from basic science and engineering all the way to support a fielded systems uh, another big part of our investment was not just on the on the expertise side, uh, but also providing the infrastructure that could help the scientists mature, mature their expertise and their products in this way. Of course, this includes uh, access to high performance compute uh, platforms, uh, training data sets, uh, and others and able to, to allow them to advance their machine learning algorithms.
1: Really seems like a lot of this, you know, uh, sort of new emerging horsepower that's readily, readily available along with this, again, troves of data and uh, have really allowed these uh, uh, data scientists to, uh, to, to come up with some super creative uh, solutions that um, solve some very important missions, including yours. Melissa, how about over at uh, Booz Allen Hamilton? I know you all are right smack in the middle of helping these uh, agencies out. What are you seeing across the top line there as far as uh, activity in the AIML space?
5: Yeah, thanks Luke. You know, as a company early on, we recognized that this is an area of focus for our business and, and in particular it's just an enabler. Uh, it was exciting to hear Chris Bryan and, and Carly talk about their challenges because that's really, you know, at the heart of what we've been focused on in Booz Allen. Um, and it's exciting, you know, even last week, Bloomberg came out and announced, you know, Booz Allen is one of the top defense sector AI ML contractors. And this was, you know, really a lead that was cemented by our win in the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. Um, but we started investing a couple of years ago and. want to highlight a couple key areas uh, that we focused on. Um, One, Brian alluded to this, is the ability um, to scale and and reuse algorithms and ML and AI capabilities, both internal to Booz Allen as a company, but also for our clients, because there are a lot of pilot efforts out there that have a lot of potential, but how do you capitalize on those, take advantage of the investment, and import those capabilities to solve other client challenges rather than reinventing the wheel every time, you know, we we solve a challenge or start a new workload. Um, so we created a AI ML platform called Modzy, and this is Booz Allen's enterprise AI platform and really our model marketplace. This way we can deploy, run, and manage an unlimited number of our AI models in a private secure platform. But we also did this in partnership with companies like Hypergiant, Nvidia, CrowdAI, other niche, AI, ML providers that want to make those models available, uh, both to the whole of government and, and commercial. So uh, we've had a lot of success there where we can quickly access and train um, models. And um, this is a, a platform that we now have licensed model out there so that our clients can capitalize on the investments we've made in these models, but also host their own. Think about it as a library, and open marketplace um, that agencies can, can store their models. Um, Another key area to recognize, and I, I think Chris really hit on this as he was describing what they're doing in DITRA, uh, is capitalizing on modern software best practices and recognizing that, that while a lot of clients want to realize the potential of, of ML and AI, you have to have the ability to go from pilot to scale these capabilities. And that's really taking best practices uh, in agile modern software development to, to automate deployment and provisioning of that software, but also the data. So how do we use what we call ML Ops or Data Ops to also introduce AI and ML to automate the infrastructure so that we can quickly move data at scale? I mean, we're talking, you know, mass amounts of data, and Brian alluded to this. Most of our challenges we're solving are in the, ter- you know, high terabytes of data. And there are still a lot of manual extract, transfer, and load processes, even for those that are, that are using small-scale uh, AI and ML applications. How do we automate that so we can help government scale it and do more with it?
1: Right, and not spend all your calories on just getting to the point where you can actually start to, you know, use the models. I love the idea of sort of a GitHub, if you will, of uh, AI models. That's pretty uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Nicholas, how about over at Snowflake? Why don't you uh, just remind everyone what Snowflake is and uh, how you fit into this ecosystem?
6: Yeah, thanks a lot, Luke. Good to see you this afternoon. I I'd love coming towards the end of the lineup because you get there's so much great material out there that I can, I can kind of go on here. Um, to go back to Melissa's point, you know, Snowflake is, is the first data platform, and we say it's a platform built for the cloud, because we've really capitalized on the technology that the cloud was built on top of, object storage, elastic compute, to, to offer the ability to point hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of compute resources at a single repository of storage, a single object store. The benefit of that is to our to our end users, it looks like a SQL ANSI standard database. Uh, but to our, our folks who are more advanced users, uh, it is an absolutely endlessly scalable platform that looks and acts like a database, but with so many more capabilities. And we've been applying a lot of those capabilities to the AI ML space. We continue to refine the platform itself. Uh, we came to the game with the ability to put very structured data, which is kind of table stakes in the database world. But to pair that data up with semi-structured data like JSON, XML, Avro, Parquet, Orc, all those great semi-structured sort of hierarchical schemas, that data can live side by side in its native format inside of Snowflake. We can do joins across that data, which in the AI and ML field is extremely useful uh, to build insight out of the, the volumes of data that Brian was talking about earlier. A lot of that data is going to come from automated platforms. And then the data scientists that are building these AI and ML models, they spend 80% of their time refining all the data that has to go into the model eventually. Snowflake has built a lot of technology into the platform to allow those transformations in data pipelines to be accomplished in Snowflake using ANSI SQL, so we simplify the process of building that data and refining it into something that we can that can be consumed. And finally, Snowflake knows that we're not the uh, the end all be all for every technology stack out there. We've we've innovated a bit with some Python libraries to allow technology partners like open source Apache Spark uh, or Databricks to be used. And of course, we uh, integrate with great new partners uh, like uh, DataRobot to bring AI capabilities to Snowflake as well. So uh, a whole ecosystem to bring the AI and into the, uh, the fold along with an underlying uh, platform to build on top of.
1: Love the technology that you guys have introduced into this ecosystem. Always great to see starting from a green field, taking all the sort of lessons learned and what the industry needs now, including, you know, reducing the calories of the uh, highly trained and highly sophisticated data scientists so that they can uh, just do the, the uh, sort of God's work, if you will. Chad, how about over at Data Robot? Why don't you first tell us what Data Robot is as far as how that fits into the ecosystem? And then what are you guys up to?
3: Yeah,
7: good afternoon and thank you. Um, <clears throat>
1: excuse me, uh, Data Robot, founded in 2012, is
7: an enterprise AI platform. And so our um, capability is on every step, uh, once you have a data set until you create mission impact, Data Robot can automate or streamline the steps one does there. So that includes a uh, a platform for data preparation, and it also includes an AI catalog and automated feature engineering. And then the next step and what saves the most time for many of our customers is building a number of machine learning models across all the commercially available libraries, as well as our own custom built models, and then allows the users uh, automated capability to evaluate those models for a number of features, including trust and bias, as well as how the model will perform under different conditions. And then the last step, which Melissa brought up, which is uh, ML operations, we also have a capability to um, not only monitor data robot models, but ingest models built in and other, or other platforms or capabilities. So as you put the models out there, you can see a leading edge of when is my data starting to drift, which means model performance will start to degrade. Uh, and then la- and then after that, we also just have some capability around uh, monitoring models and production for mission impact and helping you understand what's the library of projects you have working on. So. We try to automate each one of those steps, think about how our users will um, deploy machine learning models and make the process more streamlined. Um, what we're working on is you know, our primary focus in the government um, has been to create mission impact. We're working really hard to find those places and tough problems that the government needs to solve and get models in production and AI deployed within months rather than sometimes these projects take a very long time and obviously to do that uh, you know we're trying to help our government customers leverage commercial technology you know like like Snowflake was mentioned earlier and think about what's that ecosystem of technology that's already been built for the commercial sector and often cases is in deployment with a number of commercially customers and then bring that into the government to streamline uh, the process leapfrog many times um, development of new tools and capabilities inside the government And then last, I'd say where we're seeing the most impact today of models in production, uh, soldier health and readiness, for example, Um, financial management, things like increasing the agility of finances and then reducing fraud. And then last, what we're really excited about now is some things like sensor fusion, integrating multiple different types of data, say it's video, images, text, and bringing that together to automate a lot of the tasks that analysts have to perform to bring insights to the warfare. Warfighter more quickly.
1: I love that uh, omni channel sort of uh, different types of data stitch in there. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Uh, Well, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal
6: News Network. The intelligence revolution is here.
0: DataRobot is the trusted leader in enterprise artificial intelligence around the globe. DataRobot makes AI for everyone a reality through end-to-end automation for building, deploying, and managing machine learning models without the need for code. Let DataRobot help you unlock the enormous potential of AI to help your agency speed up response times and take decisive action. Learn more at DataRobot.com.
8: Snowflake is the cloud data platform. Federal agencies require modern business agility and secure data insights to leverage data as a strategic asset across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com federal. That's snowflake.com federal.
9: Artificial intelligence elevates our government by providing citizens with personalized services and helping agencies do more with less. But achieving the promise of AI requires technology, data, algorithms, and people to work together more effectively. At Booz Allen, we bring AI out of the lab and into the real world in complex, secure environments from the DOD to the FDA. Preparing data for AI, implementing algorithms, and legacy architectures, managing change end-to-end, our open technologies open your possibilities. Learn more at boozalloncom slash AI.
1: Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about AI and ML, and we're just getting ready to get into specific programs. I want to throw it up to you, Carly. Give us a, uh, uh, an example, a highlight, a, a specific program, one that you can talk about, of course, Uh, that you'd like to highlight for the uh, the interest of the listening audience.
4: Sure, Luke, happy to do so. Uh, So a recent example um, in this field was how our machine learning experts applied their expertise and really employed a very strong expert network both internally and externally to the to the NIWICs, to the Naval Information Warfare Centers, and they led a rapid response uh, to the beat COVID-19 uh, crisis. Uh, the original proposal, in fact, came from a, from a startup week that we run internally uh, to identify best, uh, best use of some of our internal discretionary funds, almost like an IRAD investment, uh, where we called for our ideas and solutions related uh, to COVID-19. And the outcome of that event was that in, in two days, we had come up with 36 different ideas uh, and In a week's time, we had six uh, detailed proposals, uh, and ultimately two were selected, uh, all in one week. Uh, so one of the selected efforts uh, was brought forward by the machine learning community, um, and it was an application that was used to detect symptoms uh, and uh, to do contact tracing. And, uh, you know, aside from the the great, great work that they all did in developing the app very quickly, there really were some key enablers that leveraged that multi year investment in both our people and our infrastructure across the naval and naval enterprise and our industrial base that really helped um, and brought speed to that to that effort. Um, One was the network of experts and um, for the past several years. The Naval uh, Out at the Naval Information Warf- Warfare Center Pacific in San Diego, we've hosted uh, a yearly conference uh, that is uh, called uh, the Naval Applications of Machine Learning or NAML. And this over the years has grown exponentially. Um, and it's really grown into an internationally. Recognized technical conference that's grown beyond its original name or intent. Uh, It's beyond naval at this point and it's beyond machine learning
1: (laughs)
6: Wow
4: So That's really a testament to the energy behind this and the community that's rapidly formed and it was in fact some of the researchers and their professional networks that uh, Developed during these early events that allowed the team to rapidly identify team members from across the Pacific um, Guam San Diego Northern California um, uh, and beyond. Uh, a, a second key enabler was a multi-year effort uh, to develop a secure cloud infrastructure uh, specifically for the R and D community, and that's unique. So specifically for developers, as opposed to a production cloud, um, also led type uh, environment
1: there. Yeah, I like that.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, so unclassified, but 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 secure. Um, uh, and that was specifically led also out of NIWC Pacific, but for the broader Naval R&D enterprise. Um, sounds like you,
1: uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, it sounds like you've got a lot of activity going on over there and uh, I, I love the purpose built. I love the expansion of all this capability. And uh, uh, Nick, let me ask you over at Snowflake, uh, give us an example, if you will, of a specific project that you all are working on over there. Uh, again, uh, one that you can talk about within the community uh, that uh, would be of interest.
6: Yeah, thanks, Luke. I mean, you know, from my various uh, times out here talking to you folks and the great guests you have on, you, you know that uh, we're relatively new in the public sector at Snowflake. Uh, so the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services was our FedRAMP sponsor for Moderate, and we've been working with them on a variety of projects we look forward to seeing what that blossoms into. Uh, most of our AI and ML projects that we're working on today are joint projects with our partners over at Databricks. And of course, uh, I'm glad Chad's here because we've actually worked together quite a bit, not directly Chad and I, but with DataRobot and Snowflake on a bunch of commercial opportunities. Um, outsell is probably the largest and most public facing. Uh, if you've bought a car in the last year and a half, you've uh, definitely used outsells products, even if you haven't been made aware of it. Uh, but any instance where you have a ton of data coming together that data has to live in one platform and then be served out to any number of data models and data modeling tools and any uh, version of machine learning and artificial intelligence models that's really where snowflake sweet spot is and we look forward to our future in public sector
1: fantastic again love this teaming capability that's going on here uh chris how about over at ditra i know there's a lot of activity going on there you top lined a whole bunch of things Give us an example of a specific program that you'd like to highlight. Sure. Thanks, Luke.
2: Yeah, we're, we're a, a busy group. Um, so one of the things that we've really focused on lately is uh, text classification and document similarity. So one of our main challenges really has been getting enough labeled training data into our uh, machine learning models. So. Some of the training data that we use comes from working with our subject matter experts and we're developing a process for labeling data <clears throat> as a process raw text in the format that would also work uh, for training the machine learning models. So what we really need is about a thousand to fifteen hundred docs uh, cl- per class with seven total classes. Mm. So 10,000 documents are records across multiple data sources and, and themes. So. While labeling of the training data is a, still a very manual process and it depends on our subject matter experts, we've worked and seen proofs of concept and worked with different tools such as like Snorkel AI, they're really demonstrating promise by assisting in um, aspects of the labeling process. Our solution has helped improve our end users ability to find relevant text documents and by, it's by enhancing the search capabilities with text classification technique known as theme categorization. So. Like most uh, data across the DOD space, DITRIC can generally be uh, you know, categorized into themes which runs to the parallels of, of our mission sets and problem sets that we're trying to solve. Um, these themes let the end user quickly retrieve information that's specific to their mission set um, across our data lake as they search it. One of the things that we've done also is delivered active learning pipeline, uh, which is used as part of this text classification project. And what it does is it guarantees future flexibility for us um, that we built the pipeline in an extensible way so that we could apply it to other models. And by using this active learning, the data science team was able to identify when a machine learning model's performance was lacking and let the data science team present the model with uh, the data it is having a hard time making decisions about. So we're able to quickly uh, fix that for them.
1: Really uh, fine-tune that so that you can get the most out of it. Uh, interesting... Uh Interesting challenge there. Chad, how about a data robot? Uh, Why don't you give us an example of a specific program that you all are working on that uh, is uh, really uh, enabling this uh, ecosystem?
7: Yeah, thank you. One one of the things where we're seeing the most impact today, and it's a side of AI that maybe doesn't get as much press as it should, but I mentioned in my opening was financial management. Mm -hmm. One of the areas we're seeing a lot of success for a department is what I mentioned kind of is this financial agility and reclaiming funds. We've helped a a department build an AI solution to identify those funding lines or projects where the money will not be fully exceeded by the end of the year and identify that much earlier in the cycle and repurpose or reclaim those funds to other projects which can add value for the organization. Um, This is another case where in this case, we partnered with Palantir Technologies. And so Palantir was able to build the aggregated database across hundreds of different inputs Put that together, data robot partnered with them to build AI machine learning models to use machine intelligence to identify those projects, which would not be fully paid, and then put that in production. And this particular agency was able to reclaim a little over 100 million um, earlier this year to repurpose those to new projects. And that was 10 times what they'd ever done in years in the past. So we're really excited about how that. Funding then allows you to repurpose those projects, to new things, and creates this energy and momentum around AI that we can then go use to think closer to the warfighter.
1: Well, I tell you, that's fascinating. And there's probably not a CFO, a CIO, or a program manager that's not going to be uh, you know, tuned into this that wouldn't uh, feel like, uh, boy, let, let, let me get a hold of that AI because I want to mine my data and find those opportunities as well. Uh, fantastic. I love that. Uh, I love that problem set. Uh, Brian, give us an example of a specific program that you'd like to talk about in regards to AI and ML. So, um,
3: yeah, DIA. We have a program that we are the executive agent for. That's run out of the Director of National Intelligence, called the National Media Exploitation Center, and its mission is to exploit uh, captured enemy materials. So these are things that come off of any number of things: thumb drives, cell phones, laptops, any number of things, and um, as you can imagine, with your own personal desktop, there is so much that is on a computer now because these uh, the hard drives that are coming onto the market are in the terabyte range. So the challenge for us has been, uh, and the NMIC's been around for uh, over 15 years, uh, we have had to capture this material, exploit it, and then turn it back around very quickly in order to understand what enemy intent is or what kind of plans they might have to attack uh, American citizens at home and abroad. So one of the successes that the NMIC was able to deliver, this is in 2011, is we were a partner on the Insolven bin Laden raid. And when all that captured enemy material came back uh, to DC, we were able to go through uh, that material in 24 hours and turn back out uh, a series of identified threats through analysis. And by doing that, we were able to elevate Homeland Security uh, measures so that we made sure that folks remained uh, safe. So we've been, you know, if you think about that, that was nine years ago. That was nine years ago that we that we uh, conducted the Abitlan rate. So uh, we have considerably improved our capabilities in this domain, and, and now it is, it's a very impressive installation using many, many uh, inside government and outside government partners to make that work.
1: Fantastic uh, problem set and uh, amazing that it has been nine years. Uh, incredible. And, and thank you and, and everyone else out there for your service. Uh, Melissa, how about over at Booz Allen? I knew you all, again, one right smack in the thick of it. You gave us a great top line there. Give us an example of a specific program that you're working on.
5: Yeah, so um, we're working on a lot of different, everything from tactical, strategic, operational missions for our customer. Um, One that that I think is a common theme we're seeing and a lot of demand for, especially across the uh, intelligence community and defense, is around open source information. And, and Brian alluded to this a little bit in his opening, but we're seeing an increased demand uh, to automate open source information that's out there uh, and PAI data. Uh, everything from scouring social media sites um, to real-time looking at news media and, and activity on sites that when fused with with intelligence information can really can really inform our uh, site picture and provide decision advantage. Uh, One of the capabilities we created is a capability called Global Foresight, where we help automate uh, the collection of that data and the visualization of that data, but also push it up to different clients so that they can aggregate it and and look at finished intelligence products that incorporate open source information. Um, One example is around supply chain analytics. So using our capabilities, we were asked to help analysts automate what was a really long, intense manual process that took them 10 days uh, to take 40 terabytes of data. uh, And it's over 100,000 hard documents that they would have to comb through uh, to really get the data they needed to then put into the tool suite that they were using in a classified environment to to analyze that data. So it was all, all manual. We automated that process and took it down to 10 days to allow them real time access to all of that data using the algorithms. Um, we focused on things like performing automation of named entity extraction. That way we could easily identify names, addresses, phone numbers, vehicles, and entities of interest that could be disruptive to the supply chain. Um, but also where there might be uh, fake profiles hanging out there, so we had specific algorithms that were looking for for those anomalies. Um, we also wanted to highlight changes in the information environment. So, part of the tool suite that, that this data was flowing into was on a watch floor. Um, and, and those resulted in real time efforts to stay ahead of crisis and developing efforts. Um, so, that's just one example of where ML and AI really streamlined those analytic processes and, and has helped a lot of our customers. Um, Great be example.
1: Yeah, a great example there. And and, and as you're describing that, you can just think of the hundreds of other examples, right? Everything from finding, you know, a hundred million dollars, uh, mining it to what you're describing there is really is incredible and it's impressive. And, uh, you know, I think we've, we've only just begun, so to speak. Uh, well, we're going to roll it over to a priority question, and I'm going to ask each of you the top priority that you have in the job jar as we speak, Chris, let me start with you at Ditra. Sure, thanks Luke.
2: Uh, So if I only have one, and I can only pick from one, I would have to say right now, it's really developing our machine learning um, operations pipeline over the next 12 months. Um, And the neat thing about it is uh, machine learning operations really kind of builds upon the success of of DevOps and the natural integration between data and the probabilistic uh, nature of machine learning models. But it does require different, Type of synchronization within the MLOps pipeline. So, kind of what we're looking at is pursuing three interconnected core concepts and how they're going to be used. So, between lifecycle management, monitoring, model version control, that, that's a lot to, to, to cover. Uh, lifecycle management, really looking at the continuous synchronization between its model, and the data, and our desired processes. Just make sure it meets all the expected criteria. model version control is uh you know we're monitoring that model how it's developed and ensuring that the model has everything that it's needed libraries data etc but i would also say that you know machine learning pipe machine learning operations pipeline is part of a multi-phase collection that we do so we'll continue our proof of concept model on how we're going to kind of develop this and what we usually do is we work with other dod entities we have uh, worked with industry partners such as Booz allen hamilton who's one of my vendor partners does a great job for us, um, academic partners, um, and then leveraging leveraging our own five plus year uh, DevSecOps pipeline knowledge and successes, which will help us build this machine learning ops pipeline for the future. So that that's my top priority for this year.
1: Yeah, it's super important. You gotta you gotta be able to set the table right to make uh, the rest of it happen. Chad, how about a data robot? Uh, what are you seeing? What are your customers asking you? What do you what do you uh, having uh, focusing your attention on as far as your number one priority right now?
7: Yeah, thank you. Well, one of our top priorities right now is um, helping our customers overcome one of their biggest barriers, frankly, in, in creating emission impact from AI, which is just the overall readiness and culture, one might say, of some of the organizations we work with. What um, some organizations we work with realize is they get to scale with AI, they have to step back and think about not just the data science teams and the ability to build models, but almost the entire organization's readiness and capability across AI. So we've launched a program with one of the intelligence community organization to think through uh, all the way from the leaders to the analysts, what is the knowledge they need with AI to identify the best places to make investments, to overcome the roadblocks to put AI in production, and then to use those as the end users, because oftentimes you might build a great model but it never gets deployed because the end users don't know how to think differently and so we're pretty excited about this program where we have general education which brings overall awareness of ai through that general education we identify those capable motivated people who'd like to get really involved we form some cohorts across multiple functions leaders analysts data scientists software engineers and they're building out specific use cases in a cohort style to put things in production again create mission impact. So we're really excited about that and think that's the way many parts of the government need to think about, not just building models, but transforming the culture of how we use AI in the government.
1: Absolutely. The culture is a big part of this. Carly, how about at uh, NAVWAR? Uh, You talked about a lot of different capabilities there, a lot of activity. Uh, What's your number one priority these days?
4: Thanks, Luke. Um, so in thinking about priorities, we certainly share, share many of the same challenges and priorities that the other panel members had just discussed. Um, if I were to kind of comment on one that maybe hasn't been discussed yet, um, it would be um, pushing the concept a little further into the hands of the warfighter and, and really um, prioritizing across all our domains and the disciplines that we work in because there are just so many uh, but helping our scientists and engineers identify the technology that is mature enough to get minimum viable products out to the fleet, you know whether it's for um, frankly in lab experimentation or or actually deployed systems. Uh, but that early feedback is critical not only to inform the design uh, of the of the algorithms that we're putting out, uh, but also to build that trust um, between the operator and the machine. And so that part of human machine teaming is, is really a critical um, uh, space that the, that the government scientists and engineers can thrive in. Uh, we see that as a unique role and um, we really push, push our teams, our expert teams, to, um, to deliver capabilities early and often and to always think warfighter.
1: Early adoption, very important. Getting early feedback, super important. Well, we're going to take another break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network.
0: The intelligence revolution is here. DataRobot is the trusted leader in enterprise artificial intelligence around the globe. DataRobot makes AI for everyone a reality through end-to-end automation for building, deploying, and managing machine learning models without the need for code. Let DataRobot help you unlock the enormous potential of AI to help your agency speed up response times and take decisive
9: action. Learn more at datarobot.com. Artificial intelligence elevates our government by providing citizens with personalized services and helping agencies do more with less. But achieving the promise of AI requires technology, data, algorithms, and people to work together more effectively. At Booz Allen, we bring AI out of the lab and into the real world in complex, secure environments, from the DoD to the FDA. Preparing data for AI, implementing algorithms and legacy architectures, managing change end-to-end, our open technologies
8: open your possibilities. Learn more at BoozAllen.com AI. Snowflake is the cloud data platform. Federal agencies require modern business agility and secure data insights to leverage data as a strategic asset across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision making at snowflake.com/federal. That's snowflake.com/federal.
1: Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about machine learning and AI. We were just getting into uh, top priorities. And uh, Melissa, let me throw it over to you. What's the uh, number one priority that you all are working on over there at Booz Allen?
5: Yeah, and Carly alluded to this in the last segment, but what we call operationalizing AI, and that's Mm -hmm. really driving user adoption. How do we get these capabilities in the hands of the warfighter, for example, or the end user so that they're, that they're usable and, and they're really kind of resulting in that human machine teaming. Um, and we focus on a, on a few key areas that are critical to that. The, the first is explainability. This kind of addresses the trust factor. How do we provide the tools and algorithms to help us move away from this notion of an AIML black box and ultimately help drive trust and, and, and therefore user adoption? Um, this is critical to scaling enterprise capabilities and, and for users to gain confidence in the output of the models. Um, another key area to enable that is adversarial AI. How do we make sure we understand adversarial capabilities and ML techniques that they're going to attempt to fool our models. These pose a real threat to the stability and confidence levels and, and the outputs of the models. So we've created capabilities that help early, early detection where we might have uh, adversarial AI vulner- vulnerabilities in our algorithms so we can identify those early and uh, continue to evolve our cyber capabilities to, to, to throw those threats.
1: Sure,
5: um, all, go also, ahead please. Um, yeah, no, also um, you know, something we don't talk about as much but is really important and our companies put a lot of focus on is around ethical AI. We're implementing corporate guiding principles to ensure that our AI is creating beneficial not harmful to human welfare and does not introduce bias within the model. So that's another investment area we're really focused on uh, that we also think is going to contribute to driving user adoption.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. Very uh, important topic and very timely, right? As we start to get the wide use of this, we start to see some of these we'll call them unintended consequences, right? That we need to be mindful of as we embark on this journey using this very powerful technology Brian, how about you at DIA? I know there's a lot of activity going on over there. What's the top priority for you all?
3: So for us, everything with AIML begins and ends with data. So when we talk about projects that we're going to take on and take forward, the first question and the last question is data. What data do we have available? What data do we need to get? How do we need to store it? How do we need to enrich it? and prepare it for whatever the mission area is. So one of the things that we are pioneering, I'll say, but we've been doing it since the end of World War II, which is uh, creating gold copy standards for our data. So when our data comes into our enterprise, it does not change. We uh, instead enrich that with metadata. So we're ensure that we know when it was taken, who took it, um, the fidelity and providence of that data, um, and then Uh, hash it so we know when it changes at the origination point. And by doing all that, we can then enable our data scientists to have a copy that they know is inviolate and has a pedigree behind it, and they can use that any way that they choose for their given uh, project they're working on. Um, That's a marked change from where we have seen folks in sister organizations in our own, where they just go back to the well and pull that data back every time. Well, that's costly, and there are changes in that data set that probably are worth noting, especially as Melissa was indicating that we have to think about what our adversaries are doing in in this environment. It is a dynamic combat environment from our view. So we believe that our adversaries, if they're not already, they will soon uh, move into that space and start to pollute data sets and also try to manipulate our AI algorithms so that they shape our perceptions. So we have already prepared for that future and we are insulating ourselves from that risk.
1: Data, uh, you know, I love the concept of this uh, gold disk of data, if you will. And uh, certainly you hear the term data is the new oil and, uh, and you have to protect it, including the integrity of it. Very important. I, uh, interesting uh, uh, concept there that you're describing. And I'm glad to see that you guys are attacking it uh, full force there. Nicholas, how about it, Snowflake? A lot of different activities going on. We're talking about data, data, data. Number one priority for Snowflake right now.
6: Yeah, uh, thanks, Luke. I, I'll, I'll kind of uh, pile on top of what uh, Brian and Melissa were talking about. They're absolutely right. The gold standard of data, that gold disk copy that that we need to have out in the world. Um, you know, Snowflake has made it very simple for for different agencies or mission partners to share data between themselves, regardless of what cloud they're on. We're deployed in AWS, Azure, GCP today, uh, moving into the GovClouds. We're on MAG today. We're moving to AWS GovCloud. Um, I would say that uh, being able to share that single source of truth, you've built your gold data standard, being able to share that gold standard out to mission partners, regardless of what cloud they're in, that's our top priority, to go to, to Melissa and to go to Brian and, and evangelize those messages and, and build that, uh, that gold standard architecture that can enable the collaboration in the Intel community that it needs so greatly.
1: Yeah, um, very important to lock that down and ensure that there's absolute 100% integrity. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here with uh, uh, our, our, uh, our probably our favorite question, which is sort of paint a picture of the future. Tell us what it looks like around the corner, over the horizon. Maybe not necessarily in the petri dish, but uh, you know, not tomorrow, so to speak. Chad, we're gonna start with you at Data Robot. Uh, what's it looking like in a couple of years? in regards to uh, where you all stand. Yeah,
7: thanks. I, you know, again, I think to come back to financial management, if I were to say within a couple of years, where will the largest impact be in the government? I think you will see billions of dollars saved in improving and streamlining financial management. Again, it's not something that's talked about a lot, but there's um, so many, poss- so much possibility there could be executed today. And and I see a lot of momentum behind that now. So I'd say as you you streamline financial management, use AI to to, um, automate repetitive tasks, to identify fraud, and then ultimately um, to be able to repurpose funds, as I mentioned earlier, that unlocks a lot of funds to then repurpose elsewhere and deploy new and and, um, more mission critical AI solutions. And then as I would say, where in the mission critical side do I see the most progress happening? I think it comes back to this sensor fusion and automating analyst capabilities. That's where I see a lot of momentum today as well. And I would say in a couple of years, a lot of the things that an analyst does today will be automated and they will be able to step back more and think about what they're seeing and get that intelligence aggregated out to the warfighter in a much more seamless way.
1: It's interesting because we always used to have a concept in the CIO community, cut, keep and reinvest. And you've just turned that to find, keep and reinvest. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Nicholas, how about it, snowflake? Uh, uh, what's it look like in a couple of years? What do you, what do you guys see when you peek over the horizon?
6: Uh, what I keep saying over and over again, Luke, is, um, you know, in my private life, I don't know how to fix everything on my car. I don't know how to you know, make the best financial decisions all the time. I have experts that I go to to give me more information to make better decisions. That decision making is going to come from artificial intelligence, I think, in a lot of our government agencies. But government agencies are very specialized in a lot of ways that are good for uh, the citizenry. Uh, I think what we look at in the future is a more collaborative government where agencies are collaborating, contributing information to each other to allow them to accomplish their missions in very unique ways. Uh, and I, uh, I'm looking forward to that because that's, uh, that's what we do very well, and uh, it's a great place for us to be in. So I look forward to that. Data is the new oil, and we
1: certainly have to collaborate uh, to make it all work and uh, and really leverage and maximize the use of it. Melissa, how about it, Booz Allen? You guys got an incredible global portfolio over there of activity going on. What does it look like in in sort of your sector, if you will, over the next couple of years? What are you all anticipating?
5: Thanks, Luke. I think we really want to see things evolve to achieve real human machine teaming. We have a concept we've been applying called Analyst 2.0. How do we achieve true partnerships through the efficient, effective integration of humans with these ML and AI capabilities to really, truly automate tradecraft? Um, And Chad alluded to this, right? It's it's the goal is to assist humans in their daily activities, not replace. And I think that's a common misnomer that a lot of people think these technologies are going to come in and replace their job when really it's just trying to automate and make their jobs more more efficient through that time savings. and, and we're gonna build on this next generation workforce. I think you're gonna see more of the workforce in the next few years come in with hybrid skill sets that have a deep understanding of the full data life cycle and how they capitalize on the advances in these capabilities. And it was, it was Chris alluded to this in terms of how DITRA is tackling tradecraft automation by bringing the business and, and mission process analysts together with your software developer and your data scientist. Um, I think that's going to help us achieve this vision of, of making sure that our AI systems are trustworthy and able to scale to support our enterprise operations at the speed of mission.
1: Right. We're going to put some very powerful capabilities in the hands of these, uh, uh, these data science. And then as, as actually as Carly talked before uh, about these, uh, these operators right on, on the, uh, right on the front line there and uh, want to make sure that we're doing all the right things to, uh, to be using those properly, et cetera. Carly, what does it look like, as you all are, are cooking it up over there in the science and technology uh, division, uh, what does it look like in a couple of years for you all?
4: Yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, so at, at, at NYWIC Pacific, uh, we have a long history of storytelling through video. Mm. Um, and we've done that both for internal stakeholders and external programs over the years. And uh, a few years ago, we made a concerted effort to develop a vision for the future, a 20 year vision. Um, and it's offered, it's offered through a command, what we call a command technical vision or a C4ISR technical vision, which, which is about a six minute short film uh, that features Kennedy, uh, which is our version of Alexa, right? An AI enabled command center of the future. And this is our 20 year vision. Uh, And we use it internally to galvanize the workforce uh, across many domains as we discussed in many diverse uh, expertise areas. Um, Internally, since then, uh, we've developed uh, a series of prototype demonstrations that optimize the decision-making for this command center uh, that uses data-centric approaches, natural language processors, uh, machine-assisted decision-making, uh, and user-centered design approaches to rapidly deploy the advanced interfaces that are really required to, uh, to harness all this data. Um, we call this Making Kennedy Real, and it's turned out to be a real galvanizing force, as I said, internally, but also externally. Last year, we also brought it uh, to our industry partners as well, um, and are looking to establish several credits, um, recognizing that uh, not all tech that we are interested in is developed by the government, Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're certainly open. We've opened our doors uh, and are really uh, aggressively partnering with industry and academia uh, and our joint partners in this effort.
1: And that's really neat. You mentioned CRETA. And I also read where you all had done some uh, some challenge prizes, too, as well in some of the AI stuff. And it's really, again, back to some of the innovative ways that you all are sussing out some of this technology and bringing it in and and experimenting with it. I think it's fantastic. So. um, Uh, Using every
4: tool in our toolbox. That's for sure. Absolutely,
1: absolutely, fantastic. Brian, how about over at Dia? What does the future look like as you all sort of look around the corner? There's a lot of things cooking over there. Um, What can we expect in a couple years? So,
3: what's interesting about my business is that we we follow the customer and where the customer goes. And so some of the things that we pay attention to are changes in how information is consumed generationally. So as our policymaker community is getting younger, uh, the way they consume information is changing. So the Obama administration was the most famous uh, example of this, but uh, he wanted to see things in a more electronic format. So uh, the director of national intelligence delivered an iPad so that he could consume intelligence. That now opened up a whole range of things that we can do now to present information to our senior executives in the government. Uh, You know, videos, interactives, um, you know, they can interact with themselves and ask questions directly to the analysts through platforms just like that. So we expect that in the future, we're gonna be producing more products that are less paper driven and more electronically driven. We expect that those products will have to have a very robust data back uh, back end to them because we think that our future customer set is going to be incredibly inquisitive and want to can, want to see more information about what it is they are consuming, and um, and then they're going to press us and test us more on why we think uh, certain things. And they're going to want to see the home. So uh, that's the vision that I think we are we are building toward. And in addition to being able to serve our, our warfighters out forward as well, edge computing platforms, folks have already kind of talked about, that is definitely a future that we see now. Uh, we see folks deploying, you know, handheld drones in the strategic capabilities office, for an example. So those are platforms we're going to have to feed, and those are platforms that are going to create intelligence that we're going to have to consume. And so those are the things we're drilling really toward.
1: Sure, an interesting concept there about uh, you know, this, all of a sudden you're putting an electronic device in the decision-maker's hand, so to speak. Talk about real-time data, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's fascinating and um, glad to see that um, uh, is in the works there. Uh, Chris, how about over at DITRA? Um, uh, what does it look like uh, as you look over the horizon? A lot of activity going on there as well. Paint a picture. Yeah, I mean, this picture is going to be kind
2: of interesting. So as Melissa and Brian kind of pointed out to you, right, our whole thing is focusing on our customer base, which is combatant commands. But I think over the next 12, 18 months, really what we're looking at is um, from a data science standpoint, bringing in the right folks into our fold from a data science standpoint and looking at it from not only just a technologist and subject matter experts, but also bringing in... The delta into the group, which could be an economist, financial analyst, somewhere in that aspect, because what you're looking for is the the ideas to actually help drive the innovation across our platforms and towards our customers. That's one of the things that we're looking at. I think the other part is we'll continue to expand our partnerships across academia, across DOD, and hopefully try to help um, solidify the machine learning, AI, DevSecOps uh, arena into some sort of standardization. I think there's a lot of flux right now, um, especially when it comes to ML ops and AI. And there's not a real standard across the board, even across DOD right now. So hopefully we'll try to help drive that and get some more standardization across the board so we all kind of agree on what, what really is data science or ML ops.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that's, uh, I don't want to call it the Wild West, because that sounds willy nilly. But you know, look, you, you all are creating your inventing as you go here, right? And you're creating new and in- uh uh uh, techniques if you will to use this capability use it safely use it properly and use it effectively and efficiently we we are and i think the other part of that too is ensuring that you have some
2: standards of like a measurement like have a goal of what you're trying to do especially when you're doing when you're piloting something at least say i'm trying to drive towards x and even if you fail you know that hey we can actually get rid of that theory and now we need to move on to the next thing so Measurement of success is is key across the board, and having some sort of risk tolerance and and pushing that out to the teams by saying, we will accept risk tolerance without any kind of blowback or punishment, if you will.
1: Absolutely, and we always like to say these days, we're not failing early, we're learning early. Absolutely. We could talk all day about this, and I really wanna uh, thank all the guests. Um, uh, I know all of you are busy uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank the sponsors here uh, for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make this program uh, so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of Federal News Network.
0: Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Trezza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show
6: in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.